chapter 5 for tonight as we think about the location where the children of Israel are going to be landing here as we read through Joshua chapter 5 and we come to a place called Gilgal. And that's really the only title that I have for the message, Gilgal, um, because that's where everything is centered around And when we come and we look at the different events that are transpiring and taking place. I've got to get over there myself, Joshua chapter 5, when we look at verses 1 through 12. In Joshua chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Are you there? Say amen. All right. Bible says, and it came to pass, and when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until they, we were passed over, that their heart melted. Neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, make thee sharp knives. And circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. The first time that they were circumcised was uh, after the Egypt, uh, or during the time of Egypt. But this would be the second time. Verse 3, And Joshua made them with sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males. Even all the men of war died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. Now that's a big deal because uh, God told Abraham, and he says, every single one of your children, all those who would be born in your house, every single person, every one of them should be circumcised from the eight times that they are eight days old onward, and, uh, you know, even if you take into your home servants, uh, whatever they may be, they, they need to be circumcised as well. And uh, that was part of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Verse 6, And the children of Israel walked forty days of the wilderness, till all the people that were men of war, which came out of Egypt, were consumed, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord, unto whom the Lord sware that he would not show them the land which the Lord sware unto their fathers, that he would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey. And their children, whom he raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them by the way. And it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people that they abode in their places in the camp till they were, made, were whole, that is, they were healed. Verse 9, And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you, Wherefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. So this, this would be about the time of the Passover. And uh, verse 11, And they did eat of the old corn of the land. On the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten the old corn of the Land, neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Some people don't like change, you know, and I'm sure that was hard for them. They were used to going out and gathering the manna, but uh, all of a sudden that manna that they had gone used to, to go out and to gather from off the fields, all of a sudden it was no longer available. And now they had to learn in a whole new, live in a whole new different way, and so 
It's really amazing what took place here in this place called Gilgal. Let's pray and we'll get into the message for, for tonight. Dear Lord, we pray that you will speak to our hearts. Lord, me of all people understand it. I'm needy. And I pray that you just work through me, Lord, particularly your word. Your word is what we need. And pray that we'll have hearts that will pay attention to, to every single word. And we'll hang on those words because it's those words that's going to bring about the changes that we need, that needs to take place in our lives. And we pray that you help us to work, walk with encouragement, with hope, knowing that we have our Savior by our side. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and grace to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. A member of a certain church who had previously had been attending, and uh, he stopped attending the services for some reason, and it wasn't known, and the preacher got concerned over this church member, so he went to go visit him. And uh, in this guy's house, he had a fire going, and the pastor noticed that uh, one of the embers of fire had one of these coals that it was, came away from the fire. And this pastor, he was, he was talking to the guy. He was trying to encourage him that he needed to come back to church. He uh, made himself at home. He said nothing. He, in fact, he said in grave silence, and he contemplated the dance of the flames around the burning logs. After some time, the pastor took the fire tongs and carefully picked up a piece of burning ember and placed it on one side of the hearth all alone. And then he sat back in his chair, still silent. The host watched all this in quiet contemplation as one of the lone embers flame flickered and diminished in one momentary glow, and then with its fire was no more. And soon it was cold and dead. He's talking about that, that little piece that he took out of the fire, and he laid it over there by itself. And instead of having that same glow and that same warmth and that same fire, it all of a sudden became cold and dead. It became, became black and uh, cold. And, and, and after a while, after the preacher was talking to this, this congregation member, and after their greeting, the pastor glanced at his watch and realized it was time to leave. He slowly stood up. He picked up the cold and dead ember, and he placed it back in the middle of the fire. And, the, and, the, and the, the, the church member there noticed what was going on. He began to watch, and he saw that this ember of fire all of a sudden began to be reignited. It began to pick up its heat once again. It began to have that fire that it used to have. And the, and, the, and the church member began to thank that pastor, and he realized that the error that he had made. If I'm going to be on fire for God, if I'm going to have the glow, if I'm going to be a witness for God, I need to be with the people of God and in the church of God. And the guy thanked him, and he said, I thank you, pastor, for that fiery sermon that you just demonstrated a little while ago. And thank God for that. I believe that this is what's going on in the nation of Israel as they crossed over that Jordan River and they noticed at the time which they lived apart from God in that wilderness for 40 years, of course, God took care of them and blessed them during that whole period of time. Think of all the miracles that they were able to witness. I mean, they saw the water coming out of the rock. They saw how God had miraculously given them that battle as long as Moses' hand stayed up in the air. They saw the manna that came down from heaven. Many miracles they saw. In fact, think about the miracle of just them. They keep their, their shoes on their feet were still still good to the clothes on their back. God took care of them the whole stretch for 40 years, but their hearts, their hearts were far from God. That was the problem. Over and over again, there was murmuring and, and complaining, grumbling and trouble every which way. And we saw how God would begin to judge them because of some of those sins that they had committed. In fact, one of the ones where they stood up against Moses and Korah and some of his um, counterparts, and they stood against him. He said, Moses, you take too much upon you. 
And uh, God, God sent judgment. He opened up the earth and swallowed them whole. Now, what a judgment that was. And then there are other murmuring and complaining. Of course, God sent fiery serpents to deal with that. But that was the trial of going through the wilderness uh, wanderings during this period of time. They suffered many setbacks is what I'm trying to say. And they would have been in the land years ago if only they would have learned to trust God and follow in his ways and listen to his commandments. The wilderness was marked by a time of unbelief, like that colon, the illustration. And uh, if they would just grow near unto God. And I like what I read here in Joshua chapter 5 because it reminds me of the fact of how God take that, well, in the illustration this is, how that pastor took that little emperor uh, that was by itself and puts it back into the fire. This is what I see going on in the nation of Israel. They're putting things back in order the way it should be. Now they see God's presence and how he'll fight for his people and how nobody will be able to stand in And they'll see God provide for them in miraculous fashion. Maybe not in the way he used to in the wilderness, wondering and providing the man, but he brought them into the land. The land flowing with milk and honey, the land of which they've heard about for years and years. Now all of a sudden they were able to realize the, the reality of it and thank God for that. I finally had the hearts of the children who had seen the affliction of their fathers in many cases had learned from the, that the heartache of unbelief and they were ready for this change. It's like the sports team that suffers setbacks. You know, uh, you hear this over and over again where there will be somebody that says, hey, you know, we're back. <laughs> And you wonder, well, how long are you back? How long are you back? They suffer defeat, and they, uh, and they try to regroup, and they, 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 they think to themselves, I, I'm back, we're going to win this time, we're on a roll, we're going to conquer, we're going to, we're going to do this thing. Well, we know with God it doesn't work that way, because it can't be done in our flesh. But God is always available if we're trusting Him, if we're just trusting Him. God was ready to give them the land, and he was ready to show Israel his commitment by reaffirming the promises that he had made to them all these years ago. Uh, my outline is basically this. It's reaffirming the promise, number one. Number two, receiving the pardon. They rolled away the reproach of Gilgal. Number three, recognizing the Passover. They observed it. Several things had to take place before that happened, but they recognized the Passover. Number four, rejoicing in the provision of the land of which they were able to enjoy. So reaffirming the promise for 40 years, the children of Israel have been waiting to claim the inheritance. They recognized that their fathers had messed it up the first time as they went in and they tried to go into the land. Of course, they were disheartened from going up because of the, the impossibilities, but we serve a God of, of the impossible. And because of that, they were, they were made to wander the wilderness for 40 years. So they've been waiting and probably counting down the years. Year 39 down, year 35 down, year 30 is down. And they were counting down the years for when they would be able to go back into the land. And they were excited about that time. In Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 17, I'm sure they would have recounted this promise to every one of their children. as they, uh, For each and every passing generation, they would have related the promise of Abraham down to them. And Genesis chapter 13 says this, he says, And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look for the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever, and I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. 
Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. So God established his promise there to Abraham. And then he gave the, the sign of the circumcision over in Genesis chapter 17. And again, this would be a sign of the, of the covenant that God had promised to him. of Number one, of his seed, of the descendants that would be born unto, unto, unto Abraham, faithful Abraham. The man who believed God, the man who was strong in faith, the man who, who followed God wherever he told him to go. Number two, the promise of the purchased possession of the land. So the same promise that God made unto Abram was reaffirmed unto each and succeeding generation. We know this because every time that God revealed himself unto, unto the children of Israel, he reminded when he sent Moses into the land, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He reaffirmed his promise to each and every one of them. In fact, it says in Genesis 26:3, Sojourn in the land, and I'll be with thee. This is to Isaac. And I'll bless thee, for unto thee and to thy seed I'll give all these countries and will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. Of course, Isaac, during the time in which he was living, they were still in the land of Canaan. He would have recognized that everywhere he cast his eyes, this is the land that God promised to the nation, to the children of Israel. This is our land. And at his period of time, he was able to recognize what God was truly talking about. It wasn't the time in which they were in Egypt, that is, to follow. To Jacob, he says in Genesis 28, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, and the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, to thy seed, and thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south, and in thee shall thy seed and all the families of the earth be blessed. And again, this is repeated to Abraham, to Isaac, to, 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 to Jacob, to Joseph is repeated. As Abraham, and he blesses his children, and he calls them all together. And remember there, the last days, when he's ready to, to, to close his eyes to death, and he calls Joseph unto him, and he begins to bless his, his children. And he reaffirms that promise that he was going to give his land. In fact, Joseph said, when you come back up into the land, bring my bones with you. Because I know my God's going to give it unto you. And then to Moses, we find that over in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, where God is dealing with Moses and he sends them back into the land of Egypt and tells them, he says, I'm going to tell the children of Israel, I'm going to bring you into the land of Canaan. And they've probably heard it for years and years and probably have been crying and wonder and affliction, does God even care? But God was ready to reaffirm these promises to, to his children, and he did bring them back into the land. And uh, I like what he wrote to Moses, Exodus chapter 6, verse 8 in particular. He says, Now bring you in the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you, to you for heritage. I am the Lord. One Christmas we went up to Rhode Island. Uh, I, I knew that my mother-in-law, she had a virtual reality set. Any, anybody ever use a virtual reality headset? I mean, those things are interesting. I knew that she had it because uh, Sarah was talking about it, and uh, she would just say, well, you know, Mom's saying that, uh, you know, she's able to see the streets of Jerusalem. I said, well, that'd be really nice. I'd love to see Jerusalem. Rather be there in person, but, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. 
So one Christmas, we went up there, and she, she uh, sat me down. She says, I want to show you something. She sat me down in a chair. And she says, don't go anywhere. <laughs> don't, don't, don't move. I mean, don't hurt yourself. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm, I'm younger. I, would, I mean, I have a good grasp on technology, at least I think so. She put this headset on me, and she tried to tell me how to operate this thing. And uh, when I put it on, I was right there in the middle of an intersection. And leave it to me, not knowing how to operate this thing, I didn't know. I couldn't get out of the intersection, so I never really did see Jerusalem. But it was really interesting to see it with your, your very own eyes there through that virtual reality headset. But again, you know, like I said, I would rather see it in person. I'd rather be able to go out and walk the streets of it. It's sort of like what the nation of Israel uh, would have been wondering. You know, we heard about all these promises. We, we heard about it from Abraham. We heard about it from Isaac. We heard about it from Jacob. Uh, we know about what Joseph said. We know what Moses said. We, we really are ready. We were wanting to see this thing. And now finally they're able to step across uh, through, the, through the Jordan River. And of course, it's amazing to me that it says that God melted the hearts of the Amorites on the one side of the land and the people of Canaan on the other side of the land. Of course, we know the report that uh, the spies came from Jericho, what they heard from Rahab Harlot, where she reaffirmed that, our hearts did melt within us, knowing that God was going to give you this land. But now they are actually stepping foot on this promised land that God said he was going to give his children all along. It now became a reality unto them. Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 18. I don't want to read it for sake of time, but God essentially told Abraham, walk through the land and the length of it, the breadth of it, and I want to give it unto you. Sounds a lot like what God wrote unto Joshua. After the passing of Moses, where he tells Joshua, he says in chapter 1, verse 3, Every place the sole of your foot shall tread, that have I given unto you. Reaffirming, again, reaffirming the promises that he had spoken unto Abraham years, years ago. Pastor, what's the significance of all this? Well, I believe, I believe with this, this what Joshua was doing with circumcising the children of Israel. Of course, this was what God had commanded them to do. Uh, it was significant because God was going to bless his own children. He was going to bless the, the descendants of Abraham as he brought them into the land. They were the seed of Abraham. They were to identify with Abraham. They were to identify with the blessings of Abraham. They were to identify with the God of Abraham. You know, sometimes in religion, you get everything backwards. There came a point in time in their life in which they began to perform the outward sign of it. They just went through the ritual, which is something they always did, and it was nothing really personal to them. In fact, in the times when Jesus was on this earth, the, the, the Pharisees would always say, we have our father Abraham. And Jesus said to them, if you were the children of Abraham, you would do the works of Abraham. And just like in baptism, the two are not synonymous whatsoever. And some people get this mixed up. They're, they're two completely different things. Uh, but it, it, was a, it was a physical sign of a... No, that's a big thing. That's a big thing. Do what has to, do what has to be done. Do those things that have been left undone in your life. And then receiving the pardon. I get this from verse 9. It says, The Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you. The word reproach, we, we recognize um, in our slogan, we, you know, uh, we, we, we use the word above reproach, right? And we'll use that term. 
I, I like, basically, the, the Bible has a better understanding of it than we use it in our English language. Uh, it's sort of like when David went out against the Philistines. What did he say? In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 26, and it says, And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done unto the man that killeth this Philistine? Talking about Goliath. What should be done to the man that, that killeth this Philistine to take it away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? The, the reproach it, it showed how far away from God that they were. They weren't standing in the power. Again, God said over and over again in his word, if you're right with me, I'll take care of your enemies. I'll bless you. I'll provide for you. I'll meet your needs. I'll be your God. I'll be your Savior. I'll be close to you. Doesn't mean that they didn't have their hardships. Sometimes I think that we have that in our minds. That doesn't mean what it is at all. But God would care for their needs. But this reproach basically is attributing blame and disgrace. And uh, we've, again, we've heard that term before above reproach. This reproach that was ruled away, I believe, has a reference to Numbers chapter 14. I want to turn back there. Numbers chapter 14, verse 29. Let me turn back there. We know it from the, the time where the spies went out and they uh, were spying out the land. They brought back the evil report. But Numbers chapter 14, verse 29. Let's see. The Bible says this. This is God speaking through Moses. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward which have murmured against me. Doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you to dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun, but your little ones, which you should be a prey, them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. Now that's a strong word, isn't it? It says you despised it. But as for you, your carcasses, they shall fall in this wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years, and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. After the number of the days in which you search the land, even forty days, each day for a year shall you bear your iniquities, even forty years, and you shall, here it is, you shall know my breach of promise. You shall know my breach of, because of the iniquity. It says, you shall bear your iniquities, and you shall know my breach of promise. I believe that this follows under the reproach of Egypt. Someone said this. He says, it took one day in order for the Lord to get uh, the Hebrews out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of the Hebrews. Isn't that amazing? God can deliver you, but it takes a long time to get that, that, the, the sin, that carnal lifestyle out of us. And again, I believe that this fall, falls out of that and goes hand in hand. God dealt with Egypt at the Red Sea. Swallowed up all the enemies. It seems to me that when God was saying, I'm removing the reproach of Egypt, it wasn't talking about that time. God took care of that. That was the meaning behind the Passover. But he was talking about the times in which they, they continued to murmur and complain, and, and they fell by this... Egyptian mentality throughout the way, even when Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and, and Moses, or Aaron is down at the bottom of the mountain, and he is, he is trying to minister to the needs of the, the Israelites. They, they tell Aaron, he says, well, we don't know what's become of this Moses. Up and make us gods. 
And then let us return back into Egypt. Time and time again, they said, we remember how you, you called us out here. You're trying to make a graveyard out of here. It would have been better if we'd been back in Egypt. Time and time again, they were mentioning Egypt, Egypt, Egypt. It was taking a long time to get Egypt out of the children of Israel. Gilgal became really important because it was here that the shame of what had happened to them prior to this was rolled away. It was taken off of them. This 40 years had finally been settled, and now they were in the land, and now the reproach was literally, Gilgal means circle or rolling, sort of like a, a mill that grinds the, the powder or grinds the wheat underneath of it. It's the rolling over. Uh, the passing of judgment is done. The failures are taken care of. We need to pass, we need to let them go and pass over them, just as Christ has uh, let go of our sins. We need to let go of them. Just as he's let go of our past, we need to let go of our past. Now, Gilgal, God began to remove and to roll away all the things that oppressed them and, and, and really, can I say this, possessed them. Because Egypt had such a hold on their heart, the devil had such a hold on their heart, the flesh had such a hold on their heart that it took forever for the, to get across, for them to walk in faith and to see what God could do. And now that it was passed over, the shame no longer was was carried along with them. It was gone, and now they could walk in victory. And we'll never be able to walk in victory until we get over that past and we get over that shame and over that reproach of those past failures and past sins. Gil Gilgal was a pivotal for Israel, as it's pivotal for us as Christians. It's the place of the cross, the place of death, the place of the resurrection, the place of self-judgment, and we need to judge our own lives first before God can use us. We noticed that the reproach was rolled away and they made, were made whole from this rite of circumcision. Again, they were, they were healed over it. And they took away the uncircumcision. The uncircumcision was now removed. They were circumcised. There was a literal change that took place. And now they, they were right with God and ready to partake of the Passover. I like this. We've got to be clean vessels in the master's hand. Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, the Bible says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth, some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified in meat for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. What is God trying to get out of your life? What is God trying to get out of your life? How much of Egypt do you still have in you? See, God wants us to move on to victory, but until we deal with that Egypt, until we get that Egyptian mentality out of our minds, we're not going to be able to go on. We need to walk in faith, recognizing the, power, the, the, recognizing the Passover. The Passover. I like to see how everything relates and uh, I, I want to know the significance, really, of the Passover here as it relates. Of course, I, I understand what happened in Egypt. I know when God was telling Pharaoh, he says, let my people go, and how he sent those ten plagues. The last one was the death of the firstborn son, and he told the children of Israel, I want you to take a lamb from among your flocks for the family, and I want you to shed the blood of that animal, and I want you to take that blood, and with the hyssop, I want you to strike the lintels of the doorposts, and when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. 
And I recognize what it means. And it was something to be remembered. They, they were to recognize no longer were they enslaved to Egypt. No longer were they in bondage to them. No longer did they have to serve their gods or fall prey to uh, whatever they would fell, fall prey to in Egypt. Now they belong to God. They, again, they were purchased with a price. But notice this over in Deuteronomy chapter 16. Deuteronomy chapter 16. Then we go over to verse 6. Deuteronomy 16, verse 6, gives us the answer to why this Passover was significant. Verse 6, it says, But at the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name in, there thou shalt sacrifice the Passover at even. And the going down to the sun at the season thou, that thou camest out, forth out of Egypt, and thou shalt rose to need in the place of the Lord thy God shall choose, and thou shalt uh, turn it in the morning and go into thy tents. Six days shalt thou eat unto unleavened bread, and on the seventh day shall be a solemn assembly to the Lord thy God, and thou shalt do no work therein. Seven weeks shalt thou number unto thee, begin to... Uh, number the seven weeks from such a time as thou beginnest to put the sickle to the corn. Thou shalt keep the feast of the weeks of the Lord thy God into tribute of a freewill offering of thine hand which thou shalt give unto the Lord thy God according as the Lord thy God hath blessed thee. And thou shalt rejoice, here it is, before the Lord thy God, thou and thy son and thy daughter, thy manservant, thy maidservant, the Levite that's within thy gates, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow that are among you, and in the place which the Lord thy God has chosen to place his name there. And thou shalt remember that thou was a bondman in Egypt. And thou shalt observe to do these statutes. They were in the place where God was going to place his name. They were in the possession of the land. They weren't to the place of resting yet. Eventually they would come to Shiloh. That's where the Ark of the Covenant would come to a final resting place until the time where David would bring it into Jerusalem. But now they were finally in the land and they would observe this Passover. In these verses, we find Israel celebrating the feast of the Passover. They first observed it when they were in Egypt. I mentioned that already, Exodus chapter 9 through 14. They celebrated it on Mount Sinai before they left for Kadesh Barnea, Numbers chapter 9, verses 1 through 14. But there's no evidence they celebrated that whole 40 years that they were in the wilderness. That's a long time to go without remembering what God told them to remember. The new generation had not been circumcised, and this was a requirement for participating in this Passover. And uh, again, I related to you the significance. Now that they're in the promised land, they've been circumcised. They're to celebrate the feast of the Passover. They rejoice in the work of God, and they are to remember the things that God did for them and bringing them out of Egypt and providing for them all along the way. And what a lesson for the redeemed people of the Lord as we pass through this life. We must constantly call to mind the great things that the Lord has done for us in our past. You know, he's called, called us in his love. He's, he, he's redeemed us. And he wants us to remember him. Of course, when we remember, we remember him in the Lord's Supper. And we're to do it as often as we will, so much more, you know, until the Lord returns. And one day we know that it's going to come soon and, and um, what an amazing lesson that is, the victory, the love, the, the fellowship that we have together as God's people. 
So there's a remembrance that they are, that they are a delivered people. Again, they're, they're no longer in bondage to Egypt. They're no longer to live like they did in Egypt. They're no longer to do what they did while they were in Egypt. They were God's people. They would worship different. They would live different. They would act different. We know the ceremonial laws, certain things, the dietary laws, certain things they couldn't eat. They were not to be like the nations of the other lands. And this is all part of the reminder here of the Passover. And then we see the rejoicing in the provision. You know, things were different. I think back, one of the lessons that the Lord was trying to teach the children of Israel, Moses was uh, giving a psalm there at the last end, of, I think it's Deuteronomy chapter 32. It begins to tell them how he had, had led and guided the nation of Israel. He related it to like a, a mother eagle, uh, I believe it was an eagle, how she would raise her young and how he would teach them to fly. She would eventually stir up the nest. You can't stay here anymore. You've got to stir up the nest. It's, it's time to go. It's time to get out. It's time. You can't grow comfortable here in this land. That's what the wilderness wandering was about. They couldn't grow comfortable. They were not to stay there. It was to be, uh, that's why they were nomads. That's why they were always moving. It's so they would not stay placed. So they would not get content. And they would stir them up. But eventually, that eaglet would... Uh, have to learn to fly, and so what the mother would do would get that little eaglet on the back of her, and she would fly all the way up into the sky and push that eaglet off of her back so they would catch the wind and try to learn to fly, and again, she wouldn't let them, she wouldn't let them fall to the ground. She would swoop under and lift them up until it was time to, until, she, until he could learn to fly on his own. He had to get away from those miracles of the water coming from the rock, they didn't need that anymore. They were in a land flowing with milk and honey. They didn't have to get used to the manna anymore. God provided for them a land where they would work their own lands. It was a place where the houses were already built and uh, things were already set up for them. All they had to do was dispossess those who were there who God uh, wanted them to dispossess because of their iniquities and sins and and take over the land and, and, and make it theirs where God would be their God. He set out the boundaries. It's really amazing what God does for us. Sometimes we get too comfortable, don't we? We get too comfortable in the way that we're living. And God says, I don't want you to stay like you are. I want you, I want you to fly. I want to give you the strength. I want to give you the power. I want you to mount up with wings as eagles and fly. We don't need to eat the wilderness food in the promised land. We have something that's better here. They were always murmuring, griping, and complaining. Oh, we loathe this manna. I would love it. Sent them quail, and it was one of the judgments sent against them. But now, now this would be the place where their cattle would... Would, would be, this would be the place where they, they would set up the, the shepherd's fields and they would set up their crops and they would have their barley harvest and the wheat harvest and all the other harvests that they would have. God would bless the land abundantly. It would be much better than what they had in the wilderness. God was changing their desires and changing their, 
perspective on life and giving them a whole new perspective, changing their, their lifestyle. This is, you want to settle down here in this land. You change the desire, you got to change the diet. I close with this. C.H. Spurgeon, I didn't read the last half of Joshua chapter 5. I'll read it at this point, and then I'll give you this illustration from C.H. Spurgeon. Verse 13, it says that it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand, and Joshua went up unto him. And said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And they said, Nay, but as the captain of the host of the Lord uh, am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face of the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? Now, I want you to notice that this guy, he didn't tell him, Don't worship me. And there's only one who's worshipped. Who's that? God. God's the only one who receives worship. There's no other explanation for this than this being the pre-incarnate Christ coming uh, to lead and to guide his people as the captain of the people to leading them into the land, leading them onward and leading them forward. Verse 15. And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoes from off thy foot. Doesn't that remind you of something? Moses, the burning bush, Loose the shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Isn't that amazing? The place where God revealed himself to Moses, I am that I am. The same way that he brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt would be the same way that he would bring them into the promised land. The place where he stood was holy Around C.A. Spurgeon said, The children of Israel may be compared to the gallant vessel prepared for a long voyage. All the cargo is on board and everyone is in his place. But why does she linger? If we ask the one at the helm, he'll tell us, We're waiting for the captain. And this is precisely the condition of the church. Having made preparations to act, we need a divine presence. And we must pause for a while to seek it prayerfully that is in his matchless power, that we may go forward successfully. I didn't have time to put the thought together, but I thought how amazing when they went and faced the Jordan River, they faced it with their ark on their shoulder, representing the presence of God. But no longer is it an ark. It's a person. It's a person. We're not trusting in the the old forms and the ceremonies of the law, we're trusting in the person of Jesus Christ. And he'll lead us onward and forward. There's victory in Jesus as we sung tonight. I pray that this would be a help and an encouragement to you, and particularly in that, that one lesson, there were several here that I pointed out to you about taking care of things that needed to be taken care of, getting Egypt out of our hearts, the stirring up of the nest, and not getting comfortable. I'd say that there's probably some here in this church tonight that you're comfortable. You're comfortable in your service. You're comfortable in your Christianity. You're comfortable in the way that you're living. And God's trying to stir you up to go forward and onward.
And will you ask Christ tonight, show me what I got to do. Show me what I got to do for you that I might have victory. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time together. Lord, this was a challenge to my own heart. I confess it. Lord, it's not easy to be uncomfortable, but that is the place of faith in our life as we trust you one step at a time. The battles, battles are not fun, and we never look for them. But Lord, you use it to strengthen us. You use it to encourage us. And may we look to the Savior as we go through this life's journey until you come for us once again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.